So how far would you go to enjoy fellowship with another Christian? How far would you travel? What would you endure? How much would you sacrifice for the opportunity to worship with, to minister alongside, and to share your life with a fellow follower of Jesus Christ? Now before you answer that question, I have to warn you that the answer to that question will have a direct correlation to your commitment to this particular local church, congregation, and to the brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of it. I've got to get that disclaimer out of the way. And I want to go back to that original question. How far are you willing to go in order to enjoy the fellowship of other Christians? Would you travel 40 miles out of your way in order to meet a Christian brother or sister? I'm afraid that for most of us, the answer to that question would depend on whether, uh, you know, whether or not it was the same time as our favorite TV show, or maybe a football game. Maybe it would depend on what the current price of gas is. And I think that's truly a sad thing. In fact, I believe that our, our low view that we often have of the value of Christian fellowship is part of the reason that so many of us American Christians experience such an anemic faith. And if we can regain a proper understanding of the importance of real fellowship and the benefit of real fellowship, then I think we will regain a strong and courageous Christian faith. Now you might say, well, that sounds like a, you're making a pretty bold claim. Is it really possible for us to have a bold and courageous Christianity simply by coming to grips with or taking hold of a positive view of Christian fellowship? I think if you will follow me this morning in the scripture that I'd like to look at, I think that I will be able to show you that this is true. That I'm not exaggerating in the least. We are in Acts chapter 28. Um, I can't remember if I said, I know I told Greg that this was going to be our last message from Acts. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I've got at least two more after this. So. You're in the last chapter. I know. I know. We're not adding an Acts 29. Although I did find a website the other day that, that had uh, Acts 29 and Acts 30 and Acts 31. It was all the, other, all the other journeys of Paul from the rest of the New Testament. They had laid them all out and figured out where he went. And they, anyways, they, just, they weren't adding the scripture. They were using it as an illustration. Anyways, uh, yeah, so we are, we're, not, we're not done. Acts chapter 28. Okay, Acts chapter 28. And we are going to be uh, looking at a, a, a fairly short passage of scripture beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> Of Acts chapter 28. And so let's begin there. Paul or Luke says this, After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. 
And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteolag, where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us, as far as the Appii Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. What we find here is Paul and the rest of the <coughs> sailing companions, if you will, who had been shipwrecked on the island of Malta, we find them after the winter on another ship. We said that, that they, they're sailing prior to this in Acts 27 and ultimately shipwrecking on the island there uh, was late in the fall of the year when the, the, when the wind became very treacherous. And so they suffered uh, at the hands of a terrible storm. Probably sometime in the first part of November of that year, A.D. 59. And so here we are. They, they, they shipwrecked on the island. They spent three months on the island, Luke says. Which brings us to February, maybe as late as March. They're setting sail. Probably the first time when the winds became favorable, they set sail. Finding another ship. And uh, this ship was a grain ship that had spent the winter there in the port in the island of Malta. Again, here we see Luke detailing uh, or, or including details that only an eyewitness would have known. Remember, Luke is along for this particular portion of Paul's journey. And Luke describes things like the origin of the ship being from Alexandria, as well as the figures of the Gemini twins, Castor and Pollux, on the bow of the ship. He also describes their journey north from the tip of Sicily through the Strait of Messina and along the western coast of Italy to the port of Puteoli, which is about 100 miles south of the city of Rome. And that was where the ship docked, and that's where Paul and all the rest of his companions got off the ship. And from there they traveled over land. Now when they arrived there in Puteoli, we're told that they found an established church. There were believers there who met them. And they, for whatever reason, stayed in the city. The centurion, Julius, most likely had some sort of business there that kept them there for a week. And while they were there, the, the Christians there in Puteoli said, Hey, Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, why don't you come and stay with us? And they were allowed to stay with them and enjoy their hospitality. It's not really dissimilar to what we read about in Acts 21 when Paul was traveling from Ephesus back to Jerusalem and every stop along the way he encountered a group of Christians. They were in Tyre and Ptolemais and Caesarea and each group of Christians extended their hospitality to Paul. And so Paul and his band here, not that Paul was in charge, but Paul and his band left Puteoli and began to travel north through Italy up to the city of Rome. And that's really when we come to the heart of this passage, which is found in verse 15. 
It's no surprise that word got out that Paul was approaching Rome. Probably, uh, again, he spent a week there in Butioli, in you know, likelihood. Maybe one of the Christians who was there sent a messenger along to Rome to let them know that Paul was there and that he was coming to Rome. And it's, it's, it's kind of typical of Luke. We've read, you know, Luke likes to include a lot of details. But then sometimes he almost glosses over really important things and just kind of mentions them in passing. And I think verse 15 is an example of that. This is the most important part, in my opinion, of this whole passage right here. When these Christians in Rome found out that Paul was on his way, they set out from Rome. They traveled down the Appian Way, first coming to three inns, which is about, 30, uh, about 33 miles from Rome, and then continuing on, some of them all the way down to the Appii Forum, which was kind of a, uh, a trading post, if you will. And they arrived there. That was another 10 miles further. They met Paul there. They met Paul as if he were a dignitary. And they were going to escort him with a whole retinue of followers, hangers-on, if you will. They were going to deliver Paul into the city of Rome. Not coming in as a prisoner, although he was a prisoner. But the Christians received Paul into Rome as if he were a very important man of power, man of influence. They came out to meet him and to, to walk back into the city, to, to, to bring him into the city, receive him. It's really an interesting thing when you think about it. The, the honor that they showed to Paul in this. But, you know, as we begin to think about this, who were these men? Luke doesn't really tell us other than that he just says they were some of the brethren from Rome. Who were these men who walked more than 40 miles to meet Paul? And then turn around and walk back with him to Rome. I said earlier, would you go more than 40 miles to visit someone to have Christian fellowship with them? But this doesn't really correspond to what we think of as going 40 miles to have a visit. I meant, I should have said, would you walk more than 40 miles? And then turn around and walk back with them more than 40 miles. That's what they did. They traveled over 40 miles to meet Paul and then turned around and walked right back with him into the city of Rome. Who were these men? Well, I'll tell you who they were. These are the same ones to whom Paul had written the letter of Romans three years earlier. So keep your finger here in Acts. Well, you, you will just turn back to me. It's only a couple pages over. Maybe two or three pages over to Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the church at Rome, to these Christians. And now as Paul, three years later, approaches the city of Rome, a group of these Christians leave the city and walk more than a day's journey to meet Paul. And then turn around and walk back with Paul. Look at what Paul says, Romans chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 7. I want to read down through verse 15 because I'd like to look at these verses as well. I think these inform us a little bit about the nature of this 
encounter that Paul had. Verse 70, he says this, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Now the book of Romans is an interesting book. We're not going to go to the book of Romans and then work our way through the book of Romans next. That's not the plan. I don't know what the plan is yet, but it's not that. The book of Romans is an interesting book, though. When Paul wrote this book... He expresses here in these verses at least somewhat of his purpose. Theologians over the years have often debated about what Paul's purpose was in writing the book. But I think when we read these verses, we have to see that at least this gives us at least a partial answer to that question. And William Hendrickson, when he writes his commentary on the book of Romans, explains Paul's purpose. Uh, in writing, or rather, his purpose in wanting to visit Rome, and then subsequently his purpose in writing the epistle to the Romans. Now, Henderson says this, and I, I thought this was appropriate. He says, the initial answer must be that Paul, being an intensely warm and loving person, desires to go to Rome in order to be a blessing to his friends and to be refreshed by them. He writes to the Romans because he loves them. They are his friends in Christ. And by means of this letter, he imparts his love for them, asks them to pray for him, and informs them about his traveling plans. Did you catch that? Why was the Apostle Paul going to make a trip hundreds of miles, a very treacherous journey, to the city of Rome? Why? Because he, he loved these Roman Christians. His friends in Christ. His brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wanted to see them. He wanted to be a blessing to them and be refreshed by them. You see, Paul... Okay, but this is the thing. Think about this for a second. Of all of the Christians in Rome, how many of them did Paul know? Personally. How many of them had Paul met? Just a few. You read the, the, the letter to Rome, there, there are a few in the back of the book that he writes and, and mentions by name. But most of the people, most of these people that he's writing to in the book of Romans, he has never even met them. They're strangers to him. He's only heard 
of their faith in Christ. He says there their testimony of faith has been proclaimed over the whole world. He's heard about them. And he's, even though he's never met, he says he prays for them continually and he longs to see them. Does that strike you as strange at all? That Paul would feel so strongly about people he's never met based solely on their reputation for faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to see them. Paul wanted to visit them. He loved them. He cared about them. He prayed for them continually. Only he never met them. Think about all that Paul endured. Here he is, as we followed him, just a little more than a day's journey outside the city of Rome, almost to his destination. But for the previous three years, what had Paul endured in order to be able to get to Rome to visit these people? Well, he endured the murderous violence of the Jews in Jerusalem. Imprisonment in Caesarea for more than two years. A difficult journey which included a terrible 14-day storm which eventually wrecked the ship. A snake bite in the island of Malta and a delay for the entire winter. And it was only after enduring all of this that Paul could finally see his prayers answered. Find himself among the believers of Rome. Seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through, doesn't it? It seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through just to see people that he had never met before. I mean, weren't there other Christians, other places that Paul could fellowship with? Certainly he could have found an easier path if he was looking just for Christian fellowship. The opening verses of the book of Romans explain to us just what Paul hoped for in coming to Rome. And I think it's important for us to see this. Because this gives us a view in Paul's understanding of what Christian fellowship really is all about. He says it there, primarily in verse 12, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He longed to impart some spiritual gift to them, to strengthen them. And even more than that, he wanted to enjoy mutual edification, mutual building up of their faith. Having his own faith built up by being in fellowship with them. That's what Paul says. Now, let's not get Paul's words confused here. He, some people look at this and would say, well, Paul says he wants to impart some spiritual gift. He wants to give them some spiritual gift. Well, that's a, I think that if we're not careful, we can get confused by that. He's not talking here about granting them spiritual gifts. You know, like gifts of prophecy or teaching or service or tongues or anything like that. Those weren't distributed by men, not even by apostles. Those, Scripture tells us, are distributed by the Holy Spirit. No, Romans 1 and verse 12 tells us 
what this spiritual gift is that Paul wants to impart. It's the building up of their faith. The Roman Christians by Paul, and Paul by the Roman Christians. Thomas Schreiner, when he writes on this passage, explains that this truly is a gift that imparts a spiritual benefit. He says this, what inspires and fortifies other believers is when they perceive faith in other Christians. Seeing other believers trust God in the course of everyday life reminds us that God is indeed faithful and encourages us to trust Him as well. I think it's easy, though, for us to be skeptical of this. Paul indicates here in this passage that his presence in Rome among the Roman Christians will result in their edification as well as his own. He doesn't credit his dynamic preaching. He doesn't credit their in-depth Bible knowledge or any of their, I'm sure, impressive array of church ministries with providing the encouragement he seeks. Paul says his desire is simply to be with them, to serve alongside them, in the ministry of the gospel. And that's precisely what we get it wrong, I think, a lot of times. Because we tend to think that the preacher, or the singer, or the pianist, or the instrumentalist, or somebody else, is the key to our encouragement and our strength here in the church. Now, I'm sure that we would all notice if we showed up on Sunday morning and there was no song leader, there was no preacher. You would be missed. A little bit. A little bit. For a few seconds. I'm sure we would all notice that, right? If you showed up here this morning and there was no leader to lead the service, there was no one to preach a message, there was no one to play an instrument, there was no one, you just showed up and there was nothing, no one here to do those things. But the problem is, we tend to think that those are the only ones who matter. We tend to think that the presence of those people is what's really important when we gather together. I think it's become very easy for Christians to see their presence in the regular life of the church as unimportant. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether we come to the church service. I mean, we're not preaching or teaching or singing or doing anything important, right? And it doesn't matter if we're here on Wednesday night. It's just a prayer meeting and nobody will know if I'm not here. I don't have any responsibilities. Well, it doesn't matter if we're not here. But then we read what Paul says to these Roman Christians. He says, I want to see you. I want to see you. To be encouraged by your faith. And to encourage you by my faith. Paul doesn't say, I want to see you so I can preach to you. I want to see you so I can hear your wonderful music program and be lifted up. 
I want to see you so I can, I can, you know, go out soul winning with you and we can have this great ministry. No, Paul says, I want to see you. Think about it. Your presence. Your presence matters. Here. In the church. With your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your presence matters. Your being here is important. As a Christian in this gathering of Christians. Simply by living your life as a part of this body, you impart courage and strength to those whose lives you touch. And you are strengthened by their contact. I think this is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 1. And it's what we see happen in Luke, or in Acts chapter 28. Now some of you say, okay, okay. I hear all that you're saying, Pastor. But I just don't really feel like I, I, I really have anything to add here, you know? Certainly, he's talking about other people. He's not talking about me. I like the words of John Calvin. When he says, There is no one so void of gifts in the church of Christ who is unable to contribute something to our benefit. There's no one. There's not a single person in this church who has no gift to add. Who has nothing to add to our benefit. But if that's so, then how come we can come to church on a Sunday morning and we can leave without really experiencing the building up, the encouragement that Paul talks about? Calvin had something to say about that, too. He says, ill will and pride, however, prevent our deriving such fruit from one another. In other words, we don't receive the regular edification, the regular building up that ought to naturally flow from gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're too proud. We're too proud to allow anybody else to impact us. We're too proud to, to allow anybody else to speak from, from their lives into our own life. To challenge us with their own example. We're just too proud to be real. To really be who we are. To spend enough time with somebody else who's being who they are. So that, that can, their faith can build us up. So that we can see it. You know? We can see the living out of their faith. When we come to church, we put on a front. And we get dressed up on Sunday morning. Physically and spiritually, you know. So that nobody really sees what we're dealing with. And a lot of times we just we just keep everybody at arm's length the best we can. And the better we do that, the easier it is for us to show up and then leave 
and never receive the benefits, the encouragement, the building up, the strengthening that ought to come. That ought to be the natural product of our gathering together. You see, when we gather together, it ought to just happen because we're gathered together and we love each other and we're fellowshiping together that we come away built up and encouraged and strengthened. That should be the natural product. Calvin suggested it's because we're too proud. And I think he may be right. That wasn't Paul's attitude at all. You see, Paul, he looked forward to eagerly seeing these brothers. To building up his, or their faith with his own. And in turn to be built up by them. Another author... W.H. Griffith Thomas summarizes the point, I think, very well. He says this, Strength and comfort are invariably to be found in Christian fellowship. So it has ever been. So it ever will be. And the more fellowship with our fellow Christians we have, and the more we realize the full force of the terms brethren and brotherhood, the stronger our life will be. Every Christian has received spiritual blessing in order to impart it. And if we cannot impart, we may well question whether we have ever received. Let us never fail to make the very most of fellowship with those who are in Christ. This is really what Christian fellowship is about. You know, it's not about a cup of coffee and a donut, although those things are great. And those things may be a part of what we do when we gather together and we fellowship and we live our lives together. Fellowship is about imparting a spiritual blessing to one another. A spiritual blessing that comes from our faith. So can I encourage you to take a look around you this morning. To look around at the people who are to your left and to your right. Those who are in front of you or behind you if there are any. I saw Mary looking over to her right. There's nobody over there. Come on. Can I encourage you to look around? To see those people who are sitting near you. Insofar as they are following Christ... They are here to provide you with strength and courage for the week ahead. That's what they're here for. That's why they're here. That's the purpose in their presence. The strength to do right in spite of the weakness of your flesh. And you know we all have that. We all have it. We all have that sinful flesh that wants what it wants. We have that desire to fulfill our own flesh. To satisfy it. And guess what? Not a single one of us, not a single one of us can do right in spite of our flesh. Can't do it. We don't have the strength to do it. We need the grace of God. How do we receive that strength? Where is it to come from? You say, oh, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Yes, it does. 
Oh, it comes from Jesus Christ. Yes, it does. But you know where it comes from that we so often neglect and we, we just don't even try to go there and look for it. It comes from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Their faith, their obedience, their example, their encouragement. But you want strength to live for the Lord? You want strength to do what's right? To overcome your sinfulness and your weakness? And spend time in fellowship, in genuine, real, open, and honest fellowship with some of your brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this church. It will help you. They will help you. But we're not perfect. But this is the design that God gave. Paul says, I want to take part in that. You want to have the encouragement. So that you can proclaim the gospel in the face of the darkness of this unbelieving world. No. You can receive that courage in part by the faith of those people sitting around you today. And you can impart that same strength, that same courage by your own faith as you live it out honestly here in this church and with these people. You see, in Paul's case, we read that he was greatly encouraged by seeing his Christian brothers from Rome. He thanked God for allowing him to finally be in their presence. We can go back to Rome or to Acts chapter 28 and see it here again. Luke mentions this in verse 15. The brethren came and they met us as far as the Appiah Forum and three inns. The last part of verse 15. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Did the, did the Apostle Paul ever need to take courage? Did he ever need to be strengthened? Did he ever need to have boldness? Did he ever feel like he was weak? Did he ever feel like he was fearful? Yes, to all of those. If the Apostle Paul needed the boldness and the courage that he could receive from the fellowship of Christian brothers, then don't we just as much, if not more so? And then we go on because we see in verse 16 that when Paul reached Rome, we learn a little bit about his conditions there. And I think that that also can kind of inform us as to the value of this Christian fellowship and what this meant to Paul. What did this enable Paul to do? Did it work? You know, Paul said, I want to see you. I want to be built up by you. I want to build you up. Did it work? Yes, because look at verse 16. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. And you say, wait a second, Pastor, I don't see anything there about Paul having strength or courage or anything. Well, let me tell you what's going on here. This situation is not really ideal. Now, it's not Paul stuck in a dungeon somewhere. It's not. Now, from the rest of this chapter, we see that Paul is most likely in a private residence. And Paul was in a very minimal kind of security situation. He He was allowed to entertain guests. He was allowed to entertain friends and have people come and visit him. He was allowed to have contact with the outside world. But, 
He was guarded by a soldier. What does that mean? It means that Paul had a soldier chained to him, arm to arm. All day long, every day, 24 hours a day, Paul's arm chained to another soldier. Now the soldiers, every four hours, would get a break. Now, they'd get a, a replacement. Somebody would come in to give them a break. But Paul never got a break. So you can imagine the kind of humiliation the, that he would have to endure, never being able to be alone for two years. Luke tells us this went on for two years. So it wasn't a dungeon, a branch of that. could have been a lot worse. But here's Paul chained to a Roman soldier every day, all day, for two years. And what we know about this situation, because Paul talks about this situation a little bit, he tells us a little bit about what this was like. And his kind of, his take on it is found in Philippians chapter 1. We've got just a couple minutes. I want you to turn there. We'll look at a couple of verses to illustrate this. Paul tells us what his circumstances were like here. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This is Paul looking on the bright side. Yes, I have suffered imprisonment for five years. Yes, I have to be chained to a Roman soldier. Yes, I was shipwrecked. Yes, I endured all of these difficult things. I've been slandered by the Jews. I've been you know, put in all these situations. Yes, I've had to go through this. But, Paul says, this has all come about for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren of the Lord have become confident in my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I think this is a really fascinating um, perspective. Here Paul is, chained by arm to the Roman, to a Roman soldier, a member of the, the palace guard. The word he uses here is the word praetorian. It means that the, the elite palace guard. This means that Paul had contact with the household of Caesar. Most likely through these soldiers as well as probably slaves in the household of Caesar that he met. Had the chance to share the gospel with. Paul saw this as an opportunity. Of course, on one hand, there's, you know, Paul forced to be chained to a Roman soldier who then Paul had to live side by side with a Roman soldier every day, every moment of every day. At the same time, that meant that Roman soldier was a captive audience. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't escape when Paul wanted to talk about Christ. He couldn't, he couldn't go anywhere to get away from Paul. And what do you think Paul talked about for two years? I guarantee it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the, the upcoming uh, disaster of the Cubs baseball season. Sorry, Vito. Okay? For the hundredth year in a row. It, it wasn't going to be, you know, well, well uh, you know, who's going to win the voice? All right? I don't think Paul talked about that stuff. I think Paul talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, this is why I'm in chains. You want to know why this chain is here, buddy? It's because of Jesus Christ. Because he died for me. And because I am compelled to preach the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. And because of that, I'm in this chain. Because I'm going to preach the good news. How many of those soldiers did Paul lead to Christ? We have no idea. He doesn't say. He does say that all of the palace guard 
that it had become evident to all the palace guard that his chains were in Christ. But Paul says, I preached the gospel to them. They all know. They all know that my real, these chains don't bind me. These chains don't bind me. I'm bound to Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. You see, Paul, again, what do we see here? We see Paul saying, listen, not just that. Here's the other thing about this passage. Paul says, it's not just me. Yeah, I've had a chance to preach the gospel in, to these soldiers and ever, to my guards. But then he says, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak. So what do we conclude? We conclude that it worked. Paul said in Romans 1, I want to meet you because I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. I want to build you up. I want to encourage you. And you're going to encourage me. And guess what? Paul was encouraged. He went in there and he preached the gospel to the people that he encountered. The the soldiers that were chained to him. The slaves that came and served in Caesar's household. Paul said, I'm preaching the gospel boldly because I was encouraged. And guess what? Paul says here, so were the brothers. They're even bolder to preach the gospel because I'm here. And because of my chains. Because of all that I've endured. Because of my faithful testimony. Because when I went through the hardship, I didn't get angry at God. I didn't yell. I didn't scream and fight. I just said, Lord, your will be done. I trusted Him in faith. And guess what? They saw it. And now they're even bolder to preach the gospel. You see, Paul coming to Rome, seeing these believers... Being in their presence, it worked. He was encouraged. They were encouraged. And the result of all of that was the gospel went out even further. So we return to my original question. How far would you go to enjoy the fellowship of brother or sister in Christ? For honest about it, most of the time we probably have to admit the answer is not very far. If it's convenient, we'll gather with one another. As long as no one expects too much. And when we gather, most of the time that we gather, we waste it on trivial things. Rather than sharing the testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The evidence of faith that's being lived out and working itself out in our thoughts and our actions. Too often we fail to see that our very presence The reality of our faith imparts a spiritual gift to those people who are around us. Do you have something to offer today? We need each other. You don't just need a preacher. You can replace me. You don't need a song leader. We can replace him. You don't need the instrumentalist. We can replace the instrumentalist. We need each other. Your necessary, your presence, your faith. From the youngest to the oldest, from the newest believer to the most mature disciple, believe that your presence and your faith are the means that God uses to build up other members of this congregation. You need to believe that today. And you need to commit to being an active part of this body. That's how God intends for you to strengthen this church. And by the way, not only does God intend for you to strengthen this church by your faith and your active presence here, but that's how God intends to strengthen you. 
to face whatever lies ahead or whatever you're in the middle of right now. Now before I finish, I have to just say one other thing because this is very important. The really crucial point. In Romans 1, Paul talks about how he longs to see the Roman Christians. To build them up and to be built up by them. And I don't want to miss the most crucial point. That it's their faith in Christ which is the foundation of their fellowship with the Apostle Paul. He says it in verse 8 when he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Again, he mentions it in verse 12 when he says that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. The reason that I mention this is that you must have faith in Jesus Christ to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. If you've never if you've never turned from your sin to serve the Lord, then you do not and cannot have fellowship with those people here who have. That's not to say you can't enjoy our friendship. I'll be honest, this church is a friendly church. I hope you found that to be true today. I was at a church a couple weeks ago, just visiting, and it floored me. I, I, after being here for three and a half years, and experiencing you, you guys and your friendliness every Sunday, not just toward me, but toward everybody who comes in the door. I was at a church, and I walked in, and nobody said a word to me. And you know, I'm not an easy guy to miss, you know? <laughs> and you say, oh, well, it's just because you're so intimidating and scary. Yeah, but I had my girls with me. You know? Nobody said a word to any of us. They all looked away as soon as we walked in the door. I found the preacher. He's a friend of mine. He's not the pastor of the church. He was a visiting preacher there. I found him studying in a, in, a, in a back room, and I dropped in to visit with him for a little bit. Then we went back out, and we sat down in the auditorium, and the choir was there, and they let out their practice, and they were all walking. The pastor of the church walked by. I got high. Walked right past. Didn't even shake my hand. It floored me. I mean, it just did. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to be critical of that church. I'm saying this because I know that you are friendly. Somebody can walk in the door of this church and I know how you're going to react to it. I don't care who they are. I know what you're going to do because I've seen it in action now. You're going to go up and you're going to talk to them. You're going to introduce yourself. You're going to shake your hands. You're going to say, hey, we're glad you're here. And you're going to do anything you can to help them, to encourage them to feel at home here. That's a good thing. We're a friendly church. But, but here's the thing, the point that I'm trying to get at. You see, you can come in here today and you can enjoy our friendship but our friendship is not the same thing as true fellowship. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can experience our friendship. That will be extended, I guarantee you. But you will not experience fellowship with us. And that's not because we're mean. It's not because we don't like you. It's because our fellowship is first and foremost with the God of heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that then it's impossible for us to have Christian fellowship. You may even serve alongside somebody in this church doing good works. Jesus said it. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You need to know Jesus Christ.
You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. When you do that, you can enjoy the fellowship that Paul longed for with his brothers and his sisters in the church of Rome. You can enjoy it right here. In this church, these people, each and every day. Do you know Jesus Christ? How committed are you to fellowship? True, genuine Christian fellowship. Let's pray and ask the Lord to minister to us from His Word.